The presenting sponsor of Moon Tower Soccer is FVF Law. To find out what makes FVF a different kind of injury law firm, you can visit FVF.law. Hello, friends. Thanks for listening to Moon Tower Soccer. This week, we will cover Austin's midweek loss in Vancouver and then a much happier home win against Sporting Kansas City. And then uh, a lot of other news, including All-Star Game, Leagues Cup. We'll have a preview for that as well and, and a lot of other stuff. My name is Lane Cottom, and I'm joined, as always, by Mr. Jeremiah Bentley. Hey, everybody. I'm Jeremiah Bentley. And the last time we saw each other in person, we were both wearing sport coats, which is not something that happens very often. There we were, and we took a we took a picture with Brad Stuver, who also looked very fancy at the Austin Soccer Foundation Gala on Thursday of last week. Yeah, last Thursday. I I think the difference between your like sport coat and my sport coat is the one you were wearing is probably not the only one you wear or the only one you own. <laughs> oh, it's okay, but I think that that was a fun event. That was the second time I've been to it. I think it was the first time you've been to it, right? It was. Yeah, I've been the out Soccer of town. Or I think I was sick or something one year. Like I've been wanting to go for a long time and just hadn't ever gotten the chance to. So I was happy to get to go. Yeah, it was a pretty full room at South Congress Hotel. Uh, UT coach Angie Kelly was the um, award recipient. They gave away like high school player of the year. I think coach of the year. They gave away uh, official of the year. And then Brad Stuver gave a little talk because Brad and Ashley were both there and were like the event co-hosts. And it's just, it's like a little cool little part of Austin. It's been around for, I think more than a decade now. It's like it's been around before the club existed. It supports scholarships refereeing coaching and it's just it's a good way to get out and like see some of the soccer communities are uh striker friends andrew and phil kind of there because i think andrew presented an award so i don't know it's a good time yeah and it's it's a nice reminder that like austin austin had a strong soccer community before austin fc was around and a lot of those people who made that happen or continued that work were in that room that night and so it it, it really is like it's a nice reminder that like Austin, if like soccer w- existed here before it was Verde and Black, like it, people were doing a lot of work to make that a real thing. And and I'm glad to see it continues after Austin FC is here as well. Yeah, well, let's let's maybe get in the news of the week now, too. I think the first match coming up will be the MLS All-Star game on Wednesday, July 19th against Arsenal uh, in I guess DC. I wrote DC, but I don't know if it's officially DC. Is it? It is in DC. Is it stadium? Okay, yeah. the stadium's in DC. Uh, John Gallagher had her, like video photos, all that cool stuff. Like it's really amazing still that he's the Austin FC representative of the game. Uh, beyond him, Damian Loss will be competing on Tuesday. So tonight, for those of you who are listening, in the goalie wars, which I think we talked about last week being sort of corny, but now that there's like a WWF style title belt up for that, like yeah. I really want Damian to win it and like that bring it back rocks. and somehow. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Somehow take a picture with I mean, imagine being out at Palmer Field with Damien with the belt taking pictures with fans. Like there's cannot be a better experience. I was thinking um, that same the, thing today. <laughs> I love it. And the Irvin Torres is gonna play in the MLS Next Pro game, which I think that's the only one that's not televised, if I remember right. It's uh, like it open was, to local fans. It was televised last year. Um, maybe it's not gonna be this year. I'm not sure, but I would hope. Or maybe 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 it's it, it may, maybe it's streamed and not like televised over the year. I think that's I, that's, I, that's what that's, happened that's last up. year because we were able to watch Anthony Deonda played in it last year and we were able to watch it. I, I think it, it was like on MLSsoccer.com or on YouTube or something. But yeah, okay. I think yeah, I think I, I was looking through like a television guy. So it's probably what it is. So I'm sure you could probably find it somewhere. I would imagine, um, but just not not over the year. And then you know, the question I wrote in here is like, 
What do you think about this format? Do you like the best of MLS versus random European club format? Like, do you, I, I kind of understand why they do it. I would like to believe the league has grown past it, but like, what's your take on this? Yeah, I mean, as as like MLS sickos, it would be really cool to to like give the spotlight to all of the MLS players that deserve it because there's so many great players that will like have not and will not get a chance to represent their teams and and the league in this all-star game just because you're picking one team against another team. And so I think it is a little bit frustrating in that sense, but in like the mode that MLS is in right now, which is like growth mode, I kind of think what they're doing is, is the right call. Like the, get the best of the best together, play against a higher profile team, whether it be Mexican, the like the Mexican all-stars or a big European team. And I kind of like the idea that they mix it up so it doesn't get too stale and like change that, like the opponent up. But I do think like from a, a marketing and like league growth perspective, it's probably the right call to keep doing this. Um, but yeah, I, I am a little bit torn on it. Yeah, really, the reason I am is, is, is the same thing you just said. Like, if you had East versus West, there's a lot of people who are never going to see this game who might be a part of it. Um, I, you know, I guess my, my, I will say, like, I'm not a super big fan of this format. And I think it's because, well, I think, um, I don't know, if, do any of these people actually convert? Like, are there any Arsenal fans that are suddenly going to start watching MLS because they watched the All Star game on one night when, like, an Arsenal B team played against, uh, plays against MLS All Stars? I don't know that. I like the Mexican, the Liga Mekis uh, competition. Yeah. But I feel like maybe, I feel like maybe League's Cup kind of fixes that. Like the, the goal of that was to expose like the Liga Mekis fans to like the, the best that the MLS has to offer. And I feel like we're going to get that from the League's Cup. So I don't know. I would be very happy with moving back to like an East versus West format in future years, including one that will be in Austin very soon. But, you know, I don't think it's been announced, but. Anthony Precourt told us in the press conference last Monday, which I don't think we talked about, is that Austin somewhere in the relatively near-term list of clubs that will host a, host a game. And people can't imagine everybody coming to Austin this week when it's 106. I know. So it be interesting to see how they <laughs> deal with that, too. That would be brutal. But yeah, you'd have to think it's going to be in the next couple of years that that we'll get to host that. Um as far as what you're saying about like converting people, yeah, I don't, I don't know that like the one game is going to convert them, but exposure over time can, right? Like, like, oh, hey, I saw this guy uh, play in the All Star All Star game. Like, okay, not, like I saw Tiago Almada play in the All Star game, and now he's playing over in Europe, and like they see him again. I'm like, oh, okay, this guy used to play for for Atlanta, or this guy used to play for whoever, and I think that like that familiarity over time can kind of slowly convert people. So yeah, the one game, no, but I think the exposure is still important. Well, speaking of exposure, we've already got a new MLS star who's very exposed. So the Lionel Messi, he's a regular guy hanging out in public who just happened, which happens to be a club supporter <laughs> to the huge streamed announcement to what is it? Uh, every Hard Rock Cafe apparently now has a Lionel Messi line of uh, merchandise available. What do you think about this? Like, I guess first, did you watch the announcement? I did not. I I did watch it um, mostly out of curiosity, just to see what it was going to be like. And I was already like at my desk watching, uh, like rewatching games for the show. And so I was like at my desk, had the Apple TV app open already, and I was like, 
oh, it's it's time now. I'll switch over and watch it for a bit. And so uh, it was, I don't know, it was like a bit of a, a mess because it rained and then they had this huge stage set up out in the middle of the pitch, but then it rained the whole time and the walkway out to the stage was apparently very slippery. <laughs> and so oh, no. instead of having everyone walk all the way out to the middle of the pitch onto the stage, they were walking out like 10 yards onto the walkway and they just did the whole presentation on this super narrow walkway, like really awkwardly. But um, I, like I was not tuning in like super excited to see Messi, but I'll, I'll have to admit it was pretty cool to see him walk out onto an MLS field and turn around and have people cheering for him and to see like a genuine smile come across his face. And so I think even like for the most skeptical of us, like it is still pretty cool that Lionel Messi is going to play in this league. Yeah, that's, that is absolutely undeniable. Cause I, I feel like there's already this current of, of, of people annoyed by the coverage. And it's like, I mean, the guy gets the coverage the guy deserves. And um, I just, I think it will be a positive effect for the league overall. I just saw this news up for uh League's Cup. So I guess they're first of all they're going to have like the basically the ML, the Apple like A team broadcasters call every single inter, inter Miami match, right? So it's Twelman. Uh, I don't remember who I don't remember who's Jake on, who's on it. Yeah. Twelman Jake Zivin and then the I think there's like a sideline reporter too for this one if I remember right. Uh, I don't know, I'm not sure. Person crew. Uh and then also 18 cameras, steady cam, four super slow motion cameras, sky cam, <laughs> a drone. Yes, sideline reporters in both English and Spanish. A dedicated one-hour pre-show on the site in both English and Spanish with interviews, expert analysis, and a post-game show. I feel like there is, if there was anything that shows the kind of gravity that Messi brings to this league, it's just that that's what they're going to roll out uh, for the League's Cup match. And, then it, and for Apple TV, I also saw that apparently they're already talking to the Bundesliga just because uh, of the amount of love they've shown to MLS. So that kind of helps prove out this whole experiment and why Apple's willing to take the bet. But yeah, that, that coverage is going to be insane. Yeah, all that for Messi to come on and play eight minutes in a three nil loss. Yeah. <laughs> right, um, probably get did, did taken you see, out by some random person. Speaking of of Messi, did you see the, all the stuff like kind of the all the hubbub online about uh, teams banning Messi jerseys in their supporter sections? I yeah, I did see a lot of that, and I saw. I mean, there's a lot of people surprised by that, a lot of people annoyed by that, and then it's really common practice, right? I th- Q2 Stadium has signs everywhere that are public entrances that are like, you know, no opposing team colors, no national team in the supporters section. I feel like that's a pretty fair rule and a rule that's in the interest of the safety of everyone Yeah, to have that. I think a lot of people, I mean, like for me, never really having lived in a place before that had a soccer team that I could go watch play. Um like there's some things like that, that, that I had to learn getting into MLS culture and stuff like that, but it is absolutely like there's several reasons for it, but one of the best reasons is a safety thing. Like if you're wearing the opponent's colors in and amongst the most passionate supporters of another team, like that's a recipe for bad things happening. And so I think it's a mix of like people not understanding why it's happening. And then also people not understanding like what soccer culture is actually like when you go to a stadium, because the majority of soccer fans in the U S are just watching on TV and they don't, they don't get to see it in person as often. And so it's, it's a learning curve that like, 
MLS is going to have to go through and like all of these new people paying attention are going to have to go through. But uh, I, I think we can just like hope to uh, gently teach them <laughs> how to do it and why we do it this way. Yeah, because you can you can still do it eighty five percent of the stadium, or maybe even like yeah. maybe even a higher percentage in some stadiums. So it's not it's not nowhere, but yeah, among the most passionate, insane uh, fans, like it's probably not a great idea to have the to have the opposing team jersey on. So I guess that's maybe maybe this is even another upside of Messi. It's like people being forced to learn a little bit more about culture in a more accelerated way than they would have have had to otherwise. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what other news we have? So we are now a uh, good 12, 13 days into the transfer window and no moves in, no moves out as of yet. Right. And Josh Wolf was asked about possible moves in. This is the post game press conference. Right? It was on, on Saturday said if we were going to bring anybody in, it would be at Sayre back, but the, the club had very little money, which the online reaction to that was all over the place. Yeah. I was every once in a while, like something happens in, in Austin FC world that doesn't even like create a blip on my radar. And like, I'm surprised when it does on other people's radar. And so this was a comment that like, I didn't even really clock or think of, but like, why do you why do you think it is that that certain people reacted negatively to the statement like we don't have a lot of money to spend on this position? I think it was just the specific way that Josh phrased it. The fact they said we don't have a lot of money to spend as if the club was poor and not because he could have said we don't have a lot of cap space available. And I think right. everybody would have understood that. And I think that was the big the phrasing of it was probably like the big controversy because then you know you see like, oh, well, we pay twenty dollars a beer and blah 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 blah. Like, how can we not have any money? And it's not that the club doesn't have any money. And you can go go all the way back to one week ago when Anthony Precourt very specifically talked about how salary cap is limiting, but they can spend all they want in the front office and to 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 show the point that they don't have very much money. So I think it was that phrasing. And I just at this point, I, I mean I watch Josh Wolf press conferences because occasionally they're like facts that are useful, but I don't put a lot of stock into like what he has to say. Cause we've talked about before, like he doesn't love the job. He's not gonna he's not going to work extra hard to make sure that he uses the right terminology to make everybody feel okay about the current situation. Yeah. And it's just like a thing that he doesn't, yeah, like you said, he doesn't care about it. He doesn't think about that kind of stuff and that part of his job very much. <laughs> and, um, but yeah, it's it, it, like you said, it's not about the actual money in Anthony Precourt and the other owner's pockets. It's about how much cap space we have left. And, um, yeah, the owners have shown that they're willing to spend. Hopefully that continues going forward. But in the past, they have shown they're willing to spend money on players. We just don't have any of that space left right now. And so uh, we're thinking maybe we're talking about like, okay, Rodney Redes was maybe on the way out. Maybe, maybe Alex Ring was on the way out. or They're, they're looking to do that. Um, I would guess until somebody goes out, that's going to be the only thing that frees up any amount of money that we could spend on a new player coming in. So do you think with all the Rodney, you know, talk and, and and possible smoke there that do you think a Rodney deal fell apart that maybe caused part of that? Or do you think it's a little bit slower or it? So the fact that is, is it just a coincidence, the fact that Rodney played in the next two games after the whole weird Minnesota thing, it makes the Minnesota thing even weirder. And my new theory yeah. after that is it's not that like. 
okay, he was in the starting lineup and then a sale went through and they pulled him. My guess is he was in the starting lineup. He felt some tightness, felt something like wasn't feeling quite a hundred percent. They pull him, but because they are in talks with someone about a transfer, they don't want to say publicly that, uh, that he's injured. And so you just like lie about it and put him off. You run 19 players out, even though your 20th player is in the city already. And I was talking to Phil West about this the other day and he was like, well, you just say he got a stomach bug and like sit him out and just tell that lie instead of the weirder lie that, well, we brought right. him and aren't going to put him on the bench. Like, um, yeah, it makes it all weird. But I, I mean, I think, I think like we, we've been saying, like talking about plate spinning, that's been kind of the phrase of the last couple of weeks. I think some of those plates are Austin FC players that they're trying to get off the team. Which is another point that Josh made, I think. A couple of weeks ago, too, talking about the thing that affected the thing that Claudio's uh, being gun affected was not only their incoming players, but their outgoing players. So that makes sense. And then we got, um, I don't know if it's a room, we got a post on Instagram from a loaned out player at a position of need, Johan Romagna, who posted a picture of the Austin FC crest. And then like Derek Ensign DM'd him and he said that he missed us. And do you think there's any credibility to any kind of? Johan comes home story. I don't think so. Um, I think for several reasons, partly because of like the reason he left is because he couldn't stay fit and wouldn't, wasn't fit enough in preseason. So I think there's already a bit of a burnt bridge there, but also like Johan was on pretty decent money. And so he's not really a budget option. to bring back. And so if we're tight on cap space, yeah, he would probably be like, we wouldn't be paying a transfer fee for him, but if we're tight on salary space too, like that's not really the solution there. So, uh, I, I do think like, honestly think Romagna would be the best option available at the moment. Like I would pick Romagna over Keller, maybe not by a super high margin, but I would pick him over Keller at the moment. Well, We'll see uh, what goes on from here. It, there has, there, again, not been a lot of rumors, I feel like, as opposed to, especially the first year, where I feel like we would talk about a guy for three weeks before he signed with the team. Like, the, there's there's not a lot of talk out there uh, about what Austin might bring in. So I guess everybody should lower their expectations to a center back, which continues to be a position of need, and hope that something's able to come through during this window. And then there'll be a lot of more, there'll be a lot more flexibility during the winter to make, like, real roster overhauls yeah um one more piece of news is that this was announced today on monday that uh there's going to be another liga mechis friendly coming to town club america versus tigres this this is sunday september 10th i think if you take out like the national team games and maybe even include the national team games like this is probably the biggest friendly that will have happened at q2 don't you think Yeah, I think so. And they both played in friendlies here against other teams because I think like uh, what Columbia America played, they played Rayados, uh, and then Tigres played. Is that who it was? Well, Rayados played against River. Oh, that's right. Okay. And so I don't think America's been to Q2. I could be wrong. I don't think they have been though. But anyway, these are like it's it's often been like and like so the the River and Rayados one is one where. It's two really big teams, but that was like on a weeknight and tickets were really expensive. 
And like a lot of things kind of came together to make, like there weren't a lot of people at that game. Um, I'm hoping with this one that whoever is promoting it, if it's the same people, because these, these games aren't put on by Austin FC, it's a, an outside entity organizing and promoting the game. They're essentially just renting the stadium to play at. So Austin FC has pretty limited, limited involvement in putting these games on. I'm hoping they learned from that last game to not put the tickets so high because there's going to be, uh, these two teams are huge. These are really big teams. Tigres being one of the closest teams to Austin and a lot of people might travel to that or already live here. Club America is the biggest team in Mexico. And so this could be a really big, really well attended game if they don't mess it up by <laughs> Uh, like the scheduling is better. Sunday is better than like a midweek thing, but as long as they don't make it crazy expensive, I think this will be a very well attended game. Yeah, I think it will be too. And it's such a huge fan base there. So pre-sale ticket pre-sales, if you're Oak collective or season ticket holder on Thursday and public sales are Friday. So I'm excited to see how this, how this goes. I think it will be a really good thing for, for the stadium um, and for the environment. Maybe this is another one where I'll like pull a press pass yeah, uh, and be able to be able to watch it from upstairs. All right, well, we should take a quick break and then we'll be right back to recap the two games from this week. Hang tight, we'll be right back with more Moon Tower Soccer. Moon Tower Soccer is brought to you by our friends at FBF Law, the official injury lawyers of Austin FC. FBF is a different kind of personal injury law firm dedicated to community, transparency, and client education. You can go to FVF.law to find out what makes FVF a different kind of injury law firm and why understanding your legal options can dramatically change the outcome of a case. Once again, that's FVF.law. Amplify Credit Union is a member-owned financial cooperative that served the needs of Central Texans for over five decades. Amplify's team lives and works in the community, making them the experts on how members can achieve their financial goals. What makes Amplify different? No bank fees. Amplify is the first financial institution in Texas to put it into bank fees. In 2022, Americans paid almost $8 billion in overdraft fees alone. Millennials paid an average of $336 a year in bank fees, which works out to six Austin FC game tickets per person per year. You'll pay none of these bank fees with Amplify Credit Union. And I happened to run into my friend who's the chief experience officer at Amplify Credit Union at the game on Saturday. And I just started reading copy and she was very happy. <laughs> we basically remember, basically remember as this script. She's like, tell them about bank fees, Jeremiah. It's like, let me tell you how much the average American paid in bank fees, Stacy. Amplify membership is open to any Texas resident. Learn to trust your bank again at Amplify Credit Union. To learn more, go to www.goamplify.com slash moontower. All right, we are back. Uh, we are going to first recap the loss. We'll start with with the bad news quickly. first. Quick, quick, quickly <laughs> recap the loss. You'll notice my my notes are much shorter for this one. <laughs> uh, this one ended two one. Um, kind of a. It was a rough game to watch in many ways. I was looking at the stats. I think we ended the night with I think only eight total shots. I think that stat is a little bit unflattering for Austin because we moved the ball. Okay. We were getting into decent areas and it's Austin is one of those teams. We talked about this with all like the XG talk last year about how Austin is overperforming. And a lot of 
Austin chances will not register as XG. And so there'd be like a cross in that a defender does well to kind of cut out. Like that's a dangerous moment that does not register as a shot, does not register as XG. And I think there were some moments in this game that were like that. And so I think some of those stats are a little unflattering for Austin, but overall, uh, Austin was not sharp enough in the moments when it really mattered and Vancouver was, and that was the difference in this game. Yeah, there were there were not a lot of moments when Austin had a lot of the lean momentum. I, I, this is something that maybe it's just like memory bias or whatever, but I feel like Austin's not very good on turf. Yeah, like the way I feel like the way Austin plays, and and maybe part of this for this match was also just sort of game load from like playing a lot. But I just like the I feel like that sort of precision kind of play does not play well on does not play well on turf, and it feels like this is a repeating pattern. Yeah, it's by all accounts. Um, like all turf is not created equal. And so like the ones in the Pacific Northwest, or, or I guess Vancouver is, but uh, Portland, Seattle are supposed to be really nice surfaces. And some of the other ones are not. <laughs> so like the ball does move differently on it. The, your touch is different. It bounces weird. Um, the way your feet feel on it is weird. And so I think there's probably maybe a little something to that, but um, we also can't blame everything on that. Right. <laughs> no, I mean, Austin did not have a great performance uh, on the night overall, no doubt. And it was born out in shot shots on target, you know, XG, like all, all the game stats, uh, but they just seem to, they seem to perform more poorly on turf for whatever reason. Uh, so let's, I don't know how you want to get into this. I guess lineup wise, Nothing surprising, right? We, Danny Danny was out. Um, so Jan Valencia slots in. We had basically the same four center backs we saw the week before. I think it was basically the same lineup that we saw in the match before, right? I think so, yeah. I, I think there was maybe some talk about whether or not we'd see Keller again, um, but that was not a huge surprise. Valencia was probably always going to be the favorite to replace Danny there. Uh, Wolf had maybe not had the best little run of game. So thinking maybe there'd be a change there, but also not super surprising to not see the change. Um, but yeah, not, not a lot of surprises here. Uh, and, well, I guess we have to start off cause it's almost one of the first things that happened is a goal from Vancouver, uh, <laughs> 30 seconds in, this is not long after the kickoff, which Austin kicked off first. We boot the ball long, like, like most teams do off of a kickoff. Um, Austin is still pressed up pretty high and the ball, the ball is kind of bouncing around falls to Ryan Gold. He drops it back to Andres Kubas who first time hits a long ball in behind for Brian white, which is a thing that they're going to look to do a lot. Kip Keller is on that side with John Gallagher as support on the backside. Pedro Vite is streaking towards that back post. And there's uh, Brian White, to his credit, plays a nice ball, like able to to kind of arc the ball over those defenders into the path of Vite. Uh, Vite takes a nice touch to kind of settle it and then hits it on his second touch. And I don't know, two or three yards away from Stuver as he's rushing out and is able to meg him. And like, I don't, there's nothing Stuver could have done there. Like, like you, you're trying to get big. And if you get megged, like that's that's the risk you take, I think. But that's, yeah, that's the downside of that. Yeah. Yeah, and originally watching this goal, like as the ball is over the top, White is settling it and starting to drive. You see John Gallagher kind of trailing Keller to support him. He looks over his shoulder and sees Vite coming up the backside there. 
uh, and just keeps following Keller. And at first I was like, Gallagher should have peeled off and gone to cover that guy. But it, like after a rewatch and after hearing what Wolf said about it in the press conference, I think Kip, knowing that he had Gallagher's support, should have been a bit more aggressive there. And because he was so wide, like, okay, let's let's address the ball there. Don't let him get a cross in. And if you get beat, Gallagher's there behind you. And that gives Nick Lima, who was trailing Vite, but I think he just made a big run up and didn't really have the legs to recover in that very moment. Um, maybe that gives him an extra second to get back if if Brian White does get a ball off. And so I think this is going to be a running theme through this show, but just like little learning moments for, for young players like Kip Keller uh, throughout these two games. Well, okay, so... But still, like among the defenders, I feel like Kip was the, if if more than Gallagher was still like the third least, you know, offensive of the defenders there. Like, like Julio's not even in the defensive half of the field, right? When they would like, I don't know where, I don't know where he was. And he, Nick was running way behind. So I feel like that whole side of the field was just way out of balance. Maybe it was, maybe it was the ball back across that makes that happen. But um, it was disappointed to see that. It was because we were just off of the kickoff and so we had like pressed up and so oftentimes and this is a pattern i'll talk about this on uh, on their next goal but um julio had followed like a, a forward into the midfield and was kind of pressing and we were kind of like in a pressing pattern and vancouver did well to to thump it over so like i don't i don't fault cascante for not being there because he was kind of doing what he was supposed to do in the moment um and yeah, it's like not great that he's incapable of getting back to where you need him in that moment. That's that's but we that, all know that well, is, we all know that is, is what it is. What, yeah, yeah, that's true. That's fair. That's um, what it is. But yeah, I'll, I'll talk. Uh, there, there is like a pattern I noticed in this game that I'll talk about a bit more in on their second goal. Um, all right, let's get there then, because not much else exciting happens in the first half. I think I might have dozed off at some point because it was a nine thirty kick. Yeah. Uh, we get a couple of halftime shifts. So Roddy Redis and Emiliano Rigoni come on for Finley and Fagundes. Um, what, and what, what do you think the intention was there? I think maybe a, a touch rotation, but Wolf said in the press conference that is like, these guys weren't being productive enough. And so I wanted to see a change. I wanted to see some energy. And so uh, a, kind of a bold, a bold move to make there. And uh, there's also a shift in the defense almost to a point where I thought we had changed formations for a bit. I don't think we did entirely, but when you watch some of the places that they're beating us in the first half, you know, Austin will often kind of they'll like the wingers will follow guys deep as necessary. Um, but they weren't doing it a lot here. And so actually I, this will be helpful to talk about this pattern before the second goal, but what they would often do is play, a ball into the feet of a striker kind of dropping in and they would one touch it back into the midfield. And then as Austin's back line is recovering, that midfielder would then play a ball, either a through ball or a ball over the top in behind to someone who's already started a run in behind. And they beat us wide with that a lot in this game. And so one thing that at halftime Wolf did to combat this is when he put Redes in, Redes was essentially playing like a wing back in the second half. And so 
instead of being part of the press and being up a little bit higher and like just following players back as necessary, Redes was essentially man marking their left wing back. And so when you see the press, like Redes is not in frame. He is with the with their wing back. And as the ball's even on the far side, you would oft, often see like Austin will drop in the winger on the ball side, but Redes was following whoever was on that backside, the wide player on that backside would follow them into the box on the backside even. And so it was almost looked like a five man backline at, at times because Redes was man marking that guy all the way down the field. And that, that did limit some of their chances that shift, uh, like having him there did limit some of their chances as the game went on, legs got tired, <laughs> like spaces were still getting opened up, but it did help a little bit. But before that, we got a Roddy Reddit's league goal, which does not happen a lot. It was a good one, too. Forever. It was a good one, yeah. Yeah, so this yeah. one, um, it starts with, I think Ragoni plays like a cross that's way too high for him, and Reddit is able to recover it and just passes it back, and they recycle it. But it, it ends up with um, kind of that triangle combination play on the left-hand side, finds uh Driussi just at the the edge of the box there. As soon as he turns, Owen Wolf makes a really nice run into uh into the box kind of behind the back line. Driussi spots it, plays a beautiful chip like a just like a little curled cross into the right in front of the keeper. Takoka the keeper is forced to come off of his line and make a kind of an awkward save and the ball spills out onto the backside to Rodney Redes and he just smashes it over Takoka who's still on the ground trying trying to recover, but um like good being in the right spot at the right time, but also a pretty good finish in the end. Yeah. It was a, it was a well-taken goal from Roddy. What was the, yeah, I mean, it wasn't super high next goal. Uh, it was just a good, good shot from good space. And so for a little while there, actually, I, I want to talk about the celebration here for a second. Cause everyone was so okay. happy. Like, you see as they're panning across, Owen has a huge smile on his face. <laughs> it's like, he's getting up off the ground and they're all run over there. And, uh, and like in a big hug and you can read Ragoni's lips saying, go lasso, go lasso, <laughs> which I, I love seeing them all celebrate Rodney like that. But um, if we don't plug this enough, but if y'all want to hear more about goal celebrations, you should be listening to Swoon Tower Soccer. If I'm, oh, I'm sure yes, there's absolutely, I'm sure there's some people who listen to our show and don't listen to that one because they just kind of assume it's not for them. But if you if you care a lot about this team, you will probably really like that show. So at least give it a chance because it's it's very, very good. And it's very, yes, gold celebration focused for sure. And OK, never mind. I was going to say, like, I don't want to be critical of Rodney on this goal, but like Rodney's leap was not much <laughs> of a leap at all. Maybe because he's a short guy. I don't know. He's set. But like you see these guys like usually they, they score the goal. They like hop up in the air and pump their fist. And you're like, I don't even know they got that far off the ground. I saw Roddy was like, oh, that was like me jumping in the air. Like to, to give a taste of Swoon Tower, I think they compared it to um Super Mario, like NES Super Mario jumping with his little fist in the air, but not the big one, the small one after <laughs> the little you've been okay, hit good. one time. Thank God. Thank God it's not just me then. <laughs> I haven't listened yet. Okay. Um so after that, like we again, like I was saying before, like we looked okay offensively we're looking a little bit more steady defensively but we're still just not playing sharp enough that uh i was ever convinced that we were going to hold on held on 
for a fair amount of time, but in the 72nd minute, again, this is that pattern that I was saying that play it into a striker, drop it back to a midfielder. And so what that does is like, let's say the forward Sergio Cordova or one of the, like the wide players would drop in, in between lines a little bit and force a defender to follow them. And so that be that, uh, Nick Lima or John Gallagher or Cascante, like, or Keller, like they'd follow that player into the midfield to keep pressure on them. Don't let them turn. Um, but that player was ready to either tap it inside or tap it back to a midfielder and other players were already making a run. And so as that defender had stepped up to press, another player is, is attacking that space behind and they are looking for it every time and ready to play that pass. And so, like I said, the red defensive shift helped it, but as legs got tired, as we're pushing a little bit more in the second half, this same pattern pops up and they're able to play a ball in behind uh, Kip Keller sees this ball. So Ryan Gold plays a really nice through ball to Sergio Cordova. Kip Keller sees it and he just can't keep up with Cordova, which is, there's not a ton of shame. He's, he's a fast player. Um, Cordova gets into the box. Kip Keller's coming in with a full head of steam and he just does a, a simple little chop and Keller's unable to stop on time. His momentum is carrying past. So he just continues back to, to help cover the line. Nick Lima is there as reinforcements also coming in a little bit hot. Cordova is really patient, gets him to bite and chips it back behind him as well. Does a little pump fake, uh, gets Stuver to bite on it and then slots it back. Keller, who's the only man still standing in his way at that point. Uh, this is another point of contention in this game where on the replay, it looks like Kip Keller pushes Brad Stuver to the ground. I yes, it don't was, think that's yeah. what happened. <laughs> I mean, I've watched it. Uh, it was like a, it's like one of those uh, uh, pictures you would look at and like try to make out the shape inside of it. Like every time I watch, I get a little bit of different different impression out of it. And you know, uh, Brad Stuver took to Twitter to say that it was his fault. I think in a direct question. I don't remember, remember who tweeted the question, but I don't know, man. It was it he, was tough. Everybody was he in a didn't tough say, spot. He, he's. He didn't necessarily say it was my fault, but he said, like, the question was, did Kip push you down? And he said, no. <laughs> he said, but he said he bit. He said, he said, no, yeah. I bit on the fake. That, like, that's why he fells, because he yeah. bit on the, on the pump fake. He bit fake on the fake, there. right. Right, right, yeah, and sorry so to, to clarify I, that. So, but It was like man. a culmination of events that made it look worse than it was. It wasn't great either way, but, like, I, and I, um, I saw, like, it's not necessarily like once once Keller's in that situation, like he gets he gets chopped like that. It's not necessarily a bad idea for him to go help cover the line if he knows he has reinforcements coming in, which he did. And so, like you could say, like maybe he should have not gotten chopped there, but easier said than done. And then once he's back there, I think it's more of a like, okay, Keller thinks the shot's going to go one way. Stuver is like, no, no, I'm not going to go too far because he might go near post here. And they kind of bump into each other. And when that happens is when he takes his little pump fake and, and Stuver dives and the shot doesn't come. And so it makes it look worse. But um, this this going back to like the initial interaction with Stuver or with uh, Keller, though, this had shades like shades of the Klaus goal, like the third goal in the St. Louis game when they play a through ball to Klaus. Keller is running in full steam and just comes in a little too hot 
and Klaus just kind of, again, chops behind him and then is able to shoot immediately. And it's a moment where it's like, okay. And I think Wolf addressed this in the press conference too. You have this guy wide. He has momentum carrying him even wider. I was saying in the first goal, like Keller maybe should have been more, been more aggressive. And this one maybe be a little less aggressive. Slow play it a little bit. Try to usher him towards the sideline. Let him take a shot. But like from a narrow angle with one of the best goalkeepers in the league covering that near post. Like, again, it's it's a learning moment. It's it's not like a super obvious thing to do, but I think it is what a really experienced center back would do in that situation. Yeah, and we could talk more about the sort of the club's reaction to this because I was kind of encouraged by it, but leading in the next game, but like, is there, is there any, anything else we, you want to cover on Vancouver before we just get into Sporting KC? Um, I think pretty much everything else I want to say will kind of apply to both games, so we can probably move on. Okay, well, let's move on. Let's move on. Let's leave our leave our sadness and desperation from Wednesday. I guess the only thing to point out of that is so Austin goes from fifth to sixth. So again, this continues. Like Western Conference is kind of crazy, um, and like the defeat ends up moving Vancouver up. It doesn't hurt Austin that bad. Um, so we get to Saturday. Um, Austin back at home where Austin is very good, Sporting KC is very bad. And then what I want to start with was the lineup. So we see basically the same lineup as we saw on Wednesday, except with Danny Pereira back uh, in the midfield. And I was very uh, happy to see Kip Keller get the chance to redeem himself in some way and not, you know, have the Wednesday night negative performance and then be punished by being being sat on the bench and for like Josh Wolf to give him a little of a chance to like play through this negative experience. Cause I feel like that's, what's going to make him a better player long-term. Yeah. And also like Kip did not play a 100% bad game. Like he had some good moments in that game. And so I, I loved, I, I didn't catch this on the first watch, but on the rewatch, our, our friend Paul Dolan, I believe it was him who said this on the broadcast but it was like, uh, Keller is like a, a, a fairly solid player, but when he makes mistakes, they tend to be loud. <laughs> so, <laughs> I thought that was interesting that like, like he does, he'll, he'll do some, some good stuff and has some real qualities that it's not like the whole game was negative, but it's just the negative parts stand, tend to stand out a little bit. And so, yeah, I, I agree. I, I was happy to see him get the run out again. And Wolf has said this, a lot of people have said this, that like, uh, this is the way you gain confidence. This is the way you learn is to keep playing. And luckily for him, he's all we've got right now. So, uh, yeah, he's going to get to keep playing, it seems. Right. Well, there's a little bit of that, too, right? Who are the other options? Like, you played Nick Lima at center back, which we know he's not equipped to do, and then play, start Lunkovist. I mean, he, he he benefits from limited options for shot here. But, uh, again, basically the same lineup. Um, more or less I'd- Austin's best 11 at this point. I think the bigger story here is Kansas City's lineup because they come out missing probably four starters. And that's like of people who are available. They had four starters on the bench, maybe five even. And so on the front line, their most dangerous group is Shallowy, Pulido, and Russell. And only Shallowy was starting at center forward. They had... uh, Afrifa is his name. I think he's mostly been playing next pro minutes this year. 
Um, and then Chonis was on the right wing, a, a good player, but not he's not Johnny Russell. He's not Alan Pulido. Uh, and then Eric Tommy was in the midfield, but um, why am I blanking on his name? Gadi Kinda was not in the starting 11. So I was thinking before this game started, like, are Kansas City, like, Galaxy bringing this and maybe, like, in a good sense where they're gonna just going to rope-a-dope us in the first half and then put all these studs on in the second half and just, like, barnstorm us? I was thinking, like, we need to take advantage of this. Like, we need to punish them for rotating. Otherwise, this could get ugly. And so, luckily, like, we were able to kind of do that, and it worked out. Yeah, because those guys, like what Polito, Russell, and Kinda did all end up coming on early in the second half when sort of the goal scoring was all done. This one, uh, yeah, the goals come in early, and it's kind of resolved from there. So the first one's Jesse uh, Zardes at 17 minutes on a, was this an unassisted ball, but it was a, like a header, if I remember right, again from him? Uh, well, you know, it, it started with a header. So this one is... This one comes from that. So this crossing pattern that Austin looks for a lot. Um, the pattern in general is get the ball deep, drop it, like get the ball towards the end line, drop it a little bit deeper and play it into the wide end, wide area or into that channel. And as the defense is resetting that back line, play across into some players in the box who are also making a run against the grain of the defense kind of resetting. And the idea is to catch them off guard, um, kind of scrambling in awkward position, trying to cover those runs into the box. And we do it and it it works perfectly. We find Jossie Zardes on the backside. The ball is like a little high form. So he's kind of like fading away, unable to get a lot of power onto it, but gets it down back across the, the keeper's body. Um, he's able to save it, but it just bounce right, bounces right back up to him and he side foots it into the into the top of the netting for, for the goal. But um, yeah, it's like nothing super impressive there, but just really good ex- execution of, of a thing that like we were, we try to do a lot. Yeah. I thought that was interesting. So it's his, his third consecutive uh, home goal. And then the second goal would be Ethan Finley's third consecutive home goal. So again, two long time, long serving MLS veterans kind of doing the best things they can do. This comes what really quickly after the first one, if I believe. Yeah, two minutes, two minutes after the first goal, Ethan Fidley scores the second one. Yeah, so this one, um, I think Owen Wolf starts this sequence deep, uh, like deep in our half. Uh, there's some buildup, ends up with Fagundes on the left side, kind of driving towards the interior, draws in a couple of defenders. Once Owen played that first pass, he continues his run all the way through the middle like kind of right up the gut and uh, Fagunda spots him plays like a nice little cross with the outside of his boot. And it's, it's in the path of, of Owen again, kind of like the red goal where like a nice run from, from Owen kind of sets up the whole thing. But um, Fontas, the center back is able to get a toe on it and keep it from getting to Owen, but his run that run had drawn their left back in Dembe into like into the interior. Finley is, is alone crashing the box from that backside and the ball falls to him and uh, hits it with his left foot. It's, it's an okay strike, a decently placed strike, but McIntosh, the keeper probably should have done better on that one. 
well, you know, all that matters is the is the result. So we get another another Ethan yeah. Finley goal. Ethan Finley would end up being what on the MLS team the match day again. Uh, so just really having a strong. I saw somebody somebody suggest that like uh, Rigoni came in for seven million dollars just to push Ethan Finley to play harder. And that yeah. was ultimately <laughs> ultimately good for Austin. So I am willing to buy that. The guy's having a really strong year. Yeah, and I, 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 to go back to the goal, like McIntosh should have done better, but not to take away from like the pattern of play, the positioning. Again, Finley being the right place at the right time, and maybe not the best shot, but like everything before that was good, and like something that Austin did intentionally it wasn't an accident that it happened that way and it's great to see like patterns of play that we're intentionally trying to do working and leading to chances even if even if the keeper should have saved it it was a good chance from a good area that we earned and worked our way into yeah yes and then so then the the rest of the first half well i think there's a couple of other things that happened in the first half that we should mention before getting into halftime which is oh my gosh I was going to say, uh, well, injuries. Yeah. So what minute was Danny's? Do you have that in front of you? Yeah, Danny's. Oh, Danny's was 13. In the 13th minute. So yeah, he uh, is a really good play for him. He steals the ball in the midfield, drives forward, and is kind of leading, leading a little counterattack there. And someone sticks a leg out. And I think he's like, half trying to evade the guy half trying to like, okay, I'm not going to get around. I need to sell this. But then the, like, regardless of what it was, he was running really fast and then left his feet and landed really hard on the ground. And it didn't look like a super weird landing, but I guess he landed awkwardly on his shoulder and they came out and looked at him. Uh, he tries to stay on for a bit, but I, you couldn't see this on the broadcast, but in the stadium at one point, he turns and looks over at the sideline and like puts his hands up. He's like, hey, when is that sub coming? And I think he gets on the ball yeah. one time, plays one pass and then sits down. He's like, I'm done, y'all. I can't do this. That's right. I do. I do remember that. Yeah, that was really bad. Yeah. And then um, and then Juicy's right before the half, I think like 40. Uh, it's in the 30th. It Was it that late? I thought it was 30 something. Well, I've got 40, 43 according to Fat Mob. 43 is when he comes off. I don't know if that's when he went down, but that's when he came off. Oh, yeah. So he goes down for the first time in the 30-some-odd minute and goes back on and plays a little bit longer and then sits down again. And I think, yeah, I think 43 is when he actually makes the sub. Um, and the the obvious replacement for him is Rodney Reddit. <laughs> Were you surprised when that was the change? Well, I don't... I, I don't know what else they're doing at that point. I don't, I don't know who the other choices are there. Yeah. Um, so I wasn't that surprised. I just feel like that was sort of another symbol of Austin just trying to kind of make it make it through this game and make it to the League's Cup break, hopefully with a result. Yeah, I, I was a little surprised for it to be Redes, but then like okay, what they ended up doing is uh, shifting Fagundes inside. So Fagundes kind of took over the Drew C role. Because he's, he's, the, he's, the, he's the next best option for that role, right? Diego, in, in the four three three, yes, yeah, he is. Uh, if we were doing that like box thing, like the five back box midfield thing, Finley and Ragoni played pretty well in that position. But in like the the twenty twenty two four three three attacking shape, I think Fagundes is is the most like for like option there. And so I thought that made a lot of sense, and then put Rodney out wide, and Rodney played well. Like again. 
Uh, this is, I know we've like been maybe like half expecting him to be moved, but I'm to a point now where like, I would be fine with Rodney Redis staying on this like, team. He's okay. Yeah. He's like, we talk about like him making a bunch of money and like, he's only making a bunch of money for a guy who's not playing and not contributing. If he plays like this, like that amount of money is not insane to have that kind of role player on your team. And his cap hit is super low because he's a U22 player. Yeah. So like what he actually makes is not that relevant because the money's not coming out of your pocket or my pocket, right? It's Garber bucks. And in, in, in that way, like he's not making a ton. Um, do you want to talk about the uh, Kansas City goal? We kind of skipped over it. The, or if there's anything notable, if there's anything notable about it, we can, but we don't have to either. No, yeah, I think it's important to talk about. This is in the 33rd minute. Um, so all all the goals happened in the first 33 minutes, but this is on a corner. And so everyone's marked up. Cascante is marked up with Rosero, the center back, who ends up scoring. As the ball comes in, I rewatched it a bunch of times trying to figure out what happened here. Uh, but it looks like Cascante just misjudges the flight of the ball. And uh, Rodoya, their center, like their defensive mid is standing just in front of him. And I think Gallagher's there marking him. And I think Cascante just misjudges the flight and steps up to try to help like support Gallagher as because as he thinks Rodoya is about to win the ball. And the ball just goes right over Cascante's head. Rosero gets an open header from like five yards out and just smashes the ball with his head. And I think Stuver gets a hand to it, but did not stand a chance from that distance. Yeah. So those, those are all the first half goals. Like the second half, I don't think there, there were not a lot of great chances for either side in the second half. Like there's, I don't think there was a single shot that was like over 0.1 on XG. Um, it was maybe yeah, I, finally a game where Brad didn't have to bail the club out to hold on to a lead. I think we ended up with, uh, what was the total I mean, number shots, of shots here? Sh- shots are only 10-8 Austin, and shots on target are 6-3 Austin. Like, I can't... It's a very low combination between two teams of total shots. Like, 18 total shots in the match between two clubs. And I think it was four shots for each team in the first half when the score was 2-1. to one. <laughs> So, all the most... Like, all the most dangerous moments came in those first four shots. Um, I think, yeah, Kansas City had one shot on target and one goal. And so, yeah, not like kind of a, a, a KG match in that sense. Um, going into halftime, I was talking about Kansas city playing a rotated squad. Uh, we see Drewsi and Pereira come off in the first half. Um, and then at halftime, I'm sitting here watching Alan Pulido and Johnny Russell warm up. And I'm like, okay, we're like, like haven't been great the last game and a half. Uh, They just scored. They have some momentum here and they're about to put on two of their best players at halftime. And it was like that, that nightmare scenario is like, they're going to try to rope a dope us and score. And like, luckily we did, we did take advantage of their rotated lineup and got two in the first half, which was big. And so what Austin needed to do in the second half was shut them down defensively. And they, they kind of were able to like they really limited what Kansas city was trying to do, even with these better players coming on these really dangerous players, they did a good job of, of limiting what they were able to do and putting pressure in the right spots and, and just being frustrating to Kansas city's um, to their attack. One of those things was, so the, the Maxi Ruti sub was at the half, right? 
Yes, Maxi comes on at the half. So I think this is a thing that I think the coaching staff deserves some credit for this one because you have to sub off Danny Pereira really early. You have to sub off Drusi early. You only get three substitution windows plus halftime. And so if you go into that second half and you're thinking, I don't think Zardes can play 90 and I want the flexibility to make a sub whenever I like want to make it and not have to, like if I'm going to pull two, if he waited until after halftime, he has to make those two subs at the same time. And so what they did instead was like, okay, we don't think Zardes is going to go 90. Let's pull him at half. Let's get Maxi on. Maxi's good for 45. That doesn't take up a substitution window. And that leaves you free to make that last substitution whenever you want it. And you don't have to make two at the same time. So I thought that was a really good move uh, by the coaching staff there to kind of think ahead and be mindful of how to use those slots best. Yeah. And that sub, then the other subs ends up being Will Bruin, which I thought was interesting because we've always talked about Will Bruin being a guy that is good for throwing out the end of games when you're chasing a goal or sometimes when you're defending. I th- yeah, I, th- I think what what it did was um, I think that's a smart play as well because we always defend in that four four two shape, and I think what they did instead was we're just going to be four four two all the time, and so if they're going to try to break us down, get in behind us, if you have two blocks of four playing compact, working really hard, wingers dropping deep when they needed to, it's going to be hard to get through, and they were hard to get through, and I, I like again, I think credit yep. to the to the coaching staff for actually making adjustments and like making these decisions. The thing that, that we criticize Josh Wolf for often. And I think they did it right in this game. Yeah. And to the players for executing on it, which is always a part yeah. of that, which is what makes the coaches look good. Right. Is when they come up with a plan, this plan to be defensive in the second half and then fill, fall, finally follow through on it. Yeah. As, as soon as the whistle goes as well, at the end of the game, Josh Wolf walks straight to Maxi Ruti and gives him a big hug. And so I think that was kind of a sign of that, like, like we gave you a mission, you went out and you killed it. Good job. And Max, Max he wasn't super involved in the attack a lot in the second half either, but his, his energy and his, nope, his he had work a lot of energy, was right? really helpful. It's at least so Austin now, since the low point of the seasons, four wins, one loss, one draw in the last six, uh, back in fifth in the Western conference, going into the league's cup break. Uh, like the table is still like, I think it, four points or six points out of 12th. Like it's, there's kind of a top four and there's five through 12. And then there's the, there's Colorado and LA galaxy. And so it is the season still up in the air, but I really feel like going into this game, I felt like this, but like coming out of this game, I particularly feel like this is the best time in the world for Austin to have a break. Yeah, I think so too. And it, it we're, we're no longer at a point where one win could jump you two spots, but we are at a point where a loss could drop you two spots. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and we're at a point where like a bad week could 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 drop you all the way out of the playoffs. So let's maybe let's take a break and then we will get into League's Cup. I want to say one more thing about this game that I think was uh, talking about uh, the defense. And so one shift that was made in this game, I talked about the shift in the second half playing Rodney Moore as like a wing back in this game you saw the wingers were dropping like aggressively into the back line, following those players in really aggressively. So what that meant was a lot of running for Diego Fagundes and for Ethan Finley. Fagundes ends up shifting inside and, and gets bailed out of some of that running after a certain point. But Ethan Finley was a warrior in this game. 
played really effective in the in the attack like he has been but also just the amount of work he did the like how smart of a defender he is he was he was a beast and like just worked super hard and so it's it's always cool to see guys doing the dirty work like that get rewarded on the offensive end as well and then yeah, and i don't know I, I don't know if that's part of why he ended up with the team of the week but it's good to see him rewarded that way yeah and then one one more thing one more note on kip keller again talking about like like letting him kind of play through it kip was like overall he was good enough was he good i don't know like <laughs> but good enough and like had some scary passes, one super dangerous clearance late on that like could have been bad and just happened not to find a Kansas City player. Um, and one thing, like I know we talk about how much better the other, like Cascante and Vison and are on the ball than him. And one very specific way that I noticed in this game is Kip will often telegraph his passes with his body shape. And in certain moments, like it doesn't seem like it should matter that much. Like if you can, like if you can take a quick pass, like okay, let's move it as 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 quickly as we can. But one thing that Julio Cascante is really really good at is like the misdirection misdirection aspect of it. And so in that game, you'd oftentimes see like he would have a defender five to ten yards away, and he would just put his foot on the ball and say like, "No, you're going to take one more step before I do anything." And so he takes that one step and then turns and plays something. Or as he's like going one way, he'll kind of shape his body one direction and play it the other way. Whereas Kip Keller would often be like kind of carrying the ball one direction and look up and kind of with his eyes, look at other options. But his body was always saying, I'm going to play it over here. And if you're watching Alan Pulido or these other guys in their press, they're kind of in an arc and have a momentum in one direction. It is your job as that center back to break that momentum, to stop them, to make them take a step a different direction. And Julio Cascante is really, really good at doing exactly that. Kip Keller, you can tell, was rarely even thinking about it. And I think that is a thing that uh, like, he's not good at, but it's a thing you can learn. Like, He can learn to do that. He, he might not ever be as good as Julio at it, but it's a thing that he can learn to do. And I hope that they're, they're talking to him about it because that it's night and day between those two center backs there. All right, that's all. Sorry, I, I interrupted you trying to take us into the break. So <laughs> No, it's fine. It's fine. We had those points to make. So let's go to the other break and we're gonna talk Leagues Cup. And we're gonna I guess we should probably admit that we are not experts uh on the on the teams that we're team we're playing this week. We're gonna do our best. I did I watch some of, film though, so we're not going okay. in completely blind. Awesome. All right, let's take a break. We'll be right back. Moon Tower Soccer is brought to you by Covert Ford. The Coverts have been meeting the needs of local car buyers for 114 years because of their service, financial expertise, and support after the sale. In addition to supporting car buyers, Covert's an important part of the soccer community and the official automotive partner of Austin FC. Right now, Covert has a deal on a 2023 Ford F-150 XL Super Cruise, stock number 223-0076. The MSRP is 53815 but with dealer discounts and package savings, it can be yours for only 45299 plus tax title and license. And with a Ford approved Ford credit, you can get it for 0% APR over 36 months or 3.9% over 60 months. If you're in the market for a new or used vehicle, be sure to check out covertford.com. Moon Tower Soccer is brought to you by Sage Wilson Realty. Thanks to Sage Wilson Realty, we'll be giving away two tickets to an upcoming match. So fill out the form in the show notes to enter for your chance to win. 
Again, this is made possible by Sage Wilson Realty. So if you or someone you know are in need of Sage real estate advice in Austin, talk to our friends at Sage Wilson Realty. Be sure to check them out online at sagewilson.com. All right, we are back. Uh, MLS is on pause for a while. Like we mentioned before, we're going to have all-star stuff midweek. But come Friday, this is no longer MLS competition. We are going into League's Cup. So, Jeremiah, I think most people listening to this will have a decent idea of what League's Cup is. But do you want to go through some of the details as a refresher or just to make sure everyone's on the same page? Yeah, let's go through the format really quickly. So, this, uh, the first year of this tournament between Major League Soccer and League Yankees, there's groups of three MLS teams are hosting throughout this tournament in the and, knockout. And not, ev- not every group is equal parts uh, U.S. Right. and Mexico teams, right? So, Austin got a draw as such that we have two Mexican teams, but some of the other ones are are the other way around, where it's two MLS teams and one Mexican team. Uh, yeah, right. They're, they're yeah, the other way. They were kind of seeded based upon inverse order of league results. So, Austin, in theory, should have two of the weaker opponents um, in league, league A. And that's probably true for the first one, and maybe not true for the second one, but we can probably get into that next week too. Um, so it's uh, two of the three teams in each group make the knockout round, which is around a 32, and then it becomes single elimination after that. One thing that I had forgotten until I read the rules again today is that, I guess this makes sense, there, there are no ties in group play or in any kind of play, no matter what. So uh, you will receive one point if the game is tied after 90 minutes, and the winner of the subsequent, it goes to penalties. When a subsequent penalty shootout will earn an additional point, and regulation one's kind of straight. So you can get three points for a regulation win, two points for winning penalties, and one point for a, a tie, and then obviously zero for a loss. Which helps with the tiebreakers in a three, like a three team group, right? Like in World Cup rules, that could get muddy really quick, but that kind of helps that. It kind of, yes, it kind of works for this. Uh, I guess. Do you want to do the preview part or do you want to ask Austin? Do you want to get into the how much Austin FC should care and try part let's, of this? Let's first? talk about that part first. Okay. That kind of goes, there's like varying, wildly varying opinions about anybody you talk to about how much Austin should try or how much Austin should care. Um, the one, the big factor for me is that the second group games on July 29th, if Austin was to not make it out of this group, which seems unlikely, then there's not another league game until August 20th. So like, I don't see how you just overall punt on this tournament. Now, do you have players that are maybe not healthy and need to get healthy and you hold them out? Absolutely. But do you rotate for any other reason than that? You know, I've seen suggestions that you hold Julio Cascante out because Austin can't afford a neither loss at center back. Like, it doesn't make any sense at all because you're going to have like a whole team full of guys. They're going to have like a month of not playing in a competitive match. And also Austin's schedule is not very easy coming out of this. So they need to find a way to be in in the best form possible coming out of this tournament. Yeah, you you make a lot of good points there. Like it's, uh, and I think a lot of people frame it as if there's only two ways you can go about it, which is all out, do everything you can, risk everything to win the whole thing, or completely throw it, play it entirely rotated squads, and you can you can. It's a spectrum, right? Like, I right. think we can take it seriously. We can try to win. But at the same time, understand that we have some injuries. Um, we, as of time of recording, we don't know how seriously how s- serious either Danny Pereira or Sebastian Giussi's injuries are. And so, two of our most important players, if they're they need some extra time, 
then yeah, let's let's play the best eleven that is healthy and fit to go. But if this were MLS playoffs and Drew C was like seventy five percent, you put it, him right. Out then there. you roll him out there. Yeah. If it's this game, maybe you you run him thirty minutes or. Maybe if he's not ready to do that, even you hold him out the whole first game and wait for the second game, but you can still take it seriously and try to win without, uh, without risking everything for it. And I, I, I'm guessing that's what it's going to happen. And the reason why I think we've talked about this on the show before, but like the reason you see so much rotation and opens cup and these like CCL games against these smaller teams, because those are happening midweek during other games. And that's why it's so hard. But right now we we're going to have, six days off from the last game until this first league's cup game. We're going to, I think it's eight days until the next one. And so there's going to be plenty of time to rest. It's, and you don't want players sitting for a month. And so, okay, let's, let's say we throw these and then Austin doesn't play a game for a month and they come back and are trying to fight for a playoff spot and they haven't played a game in a month. Like that's, it's not a good way to go about it. Well, and that difference you talked about is the the entire reason that this is set up this way. I mean, the whole reason that the League's Cup is set up so that both leagues shut down for a month is so that they're both on equal footing, and it doesn't... Like, rotation doesn't matter. Whoever... The fact that they're... or It's going to matter, ultimately, but the fact that, like, the salary restrictions are different in the two leagues don't matter. Um, like, it should just be clubs rolling out their best 11s. It hasn't happened before, so we'll see whether either... We'll see who all tries and doesn't try, but yeah, I see no good argument for Austin doing anything other than what you said, like putting your best healthy 11 available based upon recommendations of like Dave Tenney and the high performance team. Yeah, I did see some people saying, like the people who are like throw the tournament camp saying like, let's play. Let's just like roll out Austin FC two, take the L and then move on. And I was like, could you even do that? And so, of course, MLS did not have these rules and regulations easily searchable anywhere but i was able to find a document that was like hidden away as a reference in a wikipedia page somewhere that was the official rules and it's essentially it said like you have to follow your league's roster guidelines in this tournament and so i think we could play some efficito guys if we wanted to but it would be like we can only play them in two games total, have them be on the bench four times. It's the same rules. And so I don't know that you necessarily want to waste some of those windows if you don't have to right now. Whereas like maybe it's going to be necessary later in the season and we've wasted them all. All right. Well, let's talk about the the, the game on Saturday. So uh, Mazatlan is the opponent. They finished 18th in the Clausura earlier this year. It's very, as a Spanish learner and remembering like Football years and uh, calendar years don't work together. The opportunity and Clausura, I had backwards until I looked it up. <laughs> so it's so like we're in this we're in the second s- half of the year. This is, this should be the Clausura, but but we're really in the first half of the year in the right. soccer year. European season split and for yeah for folks who don't know about like Liga Mekis calendar, they follow more or less like the European season like schedule, but they split their season into two, and so. Apertura is the first half, Clausura is the second half, and you have a champion of each one and then kind of a champion overall, and they'll have little playoffs and stuff as well. But uh, that's what Jeremiah is talking about when he mentions those two words. So Mazatlan was terrible in the Clausura <laughs> last year. I, was, I think it was one of the worst seasons in league history. Uh, I think there were 18 
It's good. 19 goals for and 41 against, so negative 22 goal differential. They've been a little bit better in the Apertura. Is that they they've it's only we're only three matches in, right? But they've had two draws and a loss so far. Lot six goals in three games. You've watched some film, like what? Or YouTube videos, which just counts as film. Like, what, what do you expect to see out of them? I actually went into the Y Scout this time. So I was doing all the, oh, nice. the, the boring kind of film. Um, so they just hired a new coach who's coached them for three games. So it makes it a little difficult to know exactly what they want to do. Uh, so you, you mentioned how poorly they did last year. They had the most goals conceded over the whole season, the lowest number of touches in the attacking penalty area in the whole league. Second lowest XG, the highest XG against. <laughs> and so this new coach, like he, it's a Spanish guy, Rescalvo, who is coached in, uh, in South America some, and this is his first job in Mexico. It's, from what I could find, it seems that he wants to maybe like focus a bit more on having a solid defense and then kind of attacking a bit more directly. Uh, going forward and from the, the the bits of the three games that I watched this season, they'll play in like a pretty much straight up four, four, two, or kind of like a four, two, three, one, their fullbacks will stay pretty reserved, not overlap very much at all. And kind of stay a bit more tucked in kind of like Austin's fullbacks did a lot last year. And when they go, they'll kind of like launch forward and attack with four or five guys. And then the back line will just kind of stay deep and just like, okay, good luck guys. Y'all go have fun up there. We're going to stay back here just in case. Um, and so it seems like that's what the coach wants to do. It hasn't started working yet because they are still giving up a bunch of chances. They're still giving up quite a few goals and they've only scored one goal in their three games so far. Um, so not to say they couldn't turn a corner, they couldn't get better, but they haven't been very good so far. Uh, and it's going to be interesting to see like, what this looks like, like it's a brave new world. MLS teams have played Liga Mickey's teams in CONCACAF Champions League, but it's always like the best Liga Mickey's teams and the best MLS teams. And this is like a pretty good, like one of the games I'm most interested in where it's like kind of middling MLS team versus a lower table Liga Mickey's team. Like, what does that look like? Are they, is the bottom of their table better than the middle of our table? We don't know. And it's going to be really interesting to find out, but they have quite a few former MLS players on their roster. And so they're going to know what MLS is about at the very least. So Luis Amaria is, uh, you recognize him from Minnesota United. He's dis dis disappointing Paraguayan designated yeah. player. <laughs> there you go. Which awesome, awesome fans are very familiar with. Yes. <laughs> One of my favorite memories of him is he came into the league and in a, his first press conference, he promised that he was going to score 20 goals and he ended up scoring like three or four. And somebody asked Adrian Heath about it. And he said, well, he owes me 14 <laughs> or like owes me 15. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, Ake Loba, the, Nashville disappointment is also there at the moment. Hasn't played much. Josue Coleman used to play for Orlando, I think, is on that team. Uh, Joel Barcenas, who beat the U.S. with Panama the other day, is on this team. Their captain is a center back named Nestor Vidrio, and his nickname is El Woody. I could not find out why. Find out why. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then they have a player named uh, Nicolas Benedetti, who is a Colombian guy. Uh, originally came from Deportivo Cali and I I'm guessing like maybe like around the same age as Johan Valencia. So they probably would have played in the Academy together or something there 
but ended up at um, uh, America in Mexico and then was on loan last year to Mazatlan. And then I think permanent permanently transferred this season. He got injured in their first game was kind of like played on the wing some and as, as a tin some, and is one of their more creative players that I think they probably were going to depend on quite a bit. He goes down in their first game and has not played since. And so not sure if he's going to be available again, again in this game, but um, will not be fresh and like raring to go if he is available. Uh, all that being said, I have absolutely no clue what to expect from this game. <laughs> yeah, I don't think anybody can read anything into it because it just comes back into the fact this is the first time it's ever been played. We have no idea how seriously League Game Mackey's teams are going to take it. And like Austin's not fared that well when they played they played clubs from 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 the other league. So it should be um should be a fun time on Friday night. I think these Liga Mekis teams, especially these ones at the bottom of the table, I think they're gonna want they're gonna be hungry for this. They're gonna want to come in and and try to compete in this tournament. And so I'm hoping, like I said, because this isn't a midweek thing, this isn't a thing they're having to balance with anything else, that Austin can come in focused and rested and have their heads on right for this game because I think it would do a lot for uh like just equity with the fans equity with Austin FC community to get at least one good win in this tournament yeah it would and and, a lot, and ultimately this is set up for credibility for the league because they're because MLS is going deeper against league game Aggies clubs and because it's at home too yeah. So it's all the more reason why uh, Austin should succeed. All right. Anything else before we move on, Jeremiah? No, let's go ahead and wrap it up. All right. Well, we would like to remind you to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I've seen a few reviews come in lately. Thank you so much for doing that. It uh, helps the show and also just makes me happy to read them. Um, come find us on Twitter, LVHero87, Bentley underscore ATX, and then Moon Tower Soccer on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. And then uh, sign up for the Patreon. I want to <clears throat> mention something about the Patreon that uh, I had been using a computer that I've had for several, many years at this point, editing the show, was able to buy myself a new computer with Patreon money, which is like a thing I needed. And uh, I didn't realize how much better it was going to make my life. But when I'm editing the show at 1 a.m., sometimes later, and trying to export the final show, oftentimes with my old computer, I would hit export and then it would say like, okay, it's going to take like 30 minutes to do this. And I'd like get up and go brush my teeth and get ready for bed. And the first time I edited on my new computer, I hit export and started standing up and getting ready to go. And by the time I even got up out of the chair, it was done. And so it took like 20, 30 seconds. And I was like, oh, wow. Yes, thank you, Patreon. We <laughs> thank we you, Patreon, for making Landon's life better. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it y- your support really does like mean something to us. It it makes our lives easier. You listening and supporting us gives us a reason to do it. So thanks so much for for helping us out. Uh, all right, thanks so much for listening. We will be back next week to review this first league's cup match and then preview the FC Juarez match, which is going to be the the second round of league's cup and then we'll cover any other news that happens between now and then until then i'm landon cottom jeremiah bentley we'll catch you next time when no one is around
Thanks for nothing, you never. La gente. Oh my god.